just do the artwork you want to do now, whether you're doing it full-time or whether you're sort of doing a job and you're going to school, whatever. It's like all that stuff really just keeps adding to just like the amount of hours you put into your craft. So really just like start as soon as possible. You're listening to the Gangstar Creative Podcast, where we talk and share real strategies, real tactics, and real stories from me and my badass guests to help Gangstar creatives and artists like you thrive in both your business and life. And I'm your host, Ivana. I'm an artist, creative entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. Are you ready to annihilate the status quo of the starving artist? If so, let's get it! What up, gangstars? It's your girl, Devana. And what a way to bring in the new year then with an awesome gangstar creative. He goes by Detour, but he's also known as Thomas Evans. And he's an all-around creative specializing in large-scale public art, interactive visuals, portraiture, immersive spaces, and creative directing. His focus is to create work where art and innovation meet. A born collaborator and military brat, Detour pulls from every conceivable experience that shapes his landscapes and perspectives. Explaining Detour's work is no easy task, as ongoing experimentations in visual art, music, and interactive technologies have his practice continually expanding. With his ever-evolving approach to art, Detour's focus is on expanding customary views of creativity and challenging fine art paradigms by mixing traditional mediums with new approaches, all while opening up the creative process from that of a singular artist to one that thrives on multi-layered collaboration and viewer participation. He's an artist that continuously gives back to the creative community by doing Art Tip Tuesdays on his Instagram and YouTube and even wrote a book called Be the Artist where it's an interactive guide to a lasting art career. You're definitely going to want to check that out. And he's just done amazing projects, worked with lots of big clients. So I just want to go ahead and just dive on into this interview. All right, what's up, gang stars? I have an awesome guest with me for this week's episode. I got Detour in the house. What's up? Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I would love to have you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Who is Detour? Where did you start and where are you today? Uh, I am a full-time creative uh, working out of Denver, Colorado. I, I guess I kind of... I wouldn't say specialized, but like most people know me for either my murals, my interactive work, or some of my studio work. Uh, but they like a lot of the colors. So I use a lot of colors in my work and a lot more figurative than most. Um, but yeah, doing all that stuff out of Denver, Colorado, but traveling around a bit as well. Um, but really, I think a lot of it kind of started when I was young, um, basically being a sort of military brat, moving everywhere, using art as a way to connect with everyone. That was so like, when you were like a teenager or child yeah, or like what, yeah, what so around I mean, what I was age born range? in Dayton, Ohio, but never really stayed there because we're, my family was always on the move. Like every three to five years we would move. Mm -hmm. So that was like a, a constant sort of, you know, having to re sort of make my friend group and everything. And you know, with artwork, you know, it just became something that I used to sort of help me do that. So like painting Ninja Turtles and giving them to friends and <laughs> painting them, painting teachers. So it's like, I just never stopped. So basically I uh, ended up in uh, Denver, Colorado. And this was like, well, actually I, I was going to school in Germany, Ramstein, Germany. And that's when eBay came out. And that's when I started making a lot of money. I wouldn't say a lot, but comparatively to, to most people in that age, I was, I was making money uh, doing airbrush t-shirts. And basically doing airbrush t-shirts, we moved around a bit more and then basically landed in Denver, Colorado, where I went to school for business of all things, uh, but was still doing uh, airbrush t-shirts. But really it was like a, a good sort of segue into the regular arts community where mm. basically I was just like building with the arts community out here and, you know, still, you know, being able to sort of support, support myself somewhat on the airbrush t-shirts and just like painting. Um, so that was like sort of my way in, but also too, it was like, I was basically an all around creative. So I was DJing, I was break dancing. I was like doing all these different sort of events on campus. I was hosting. I was like doing a small stint, like doing stand-up comedy for a little bit. So oh, it was a snap. little, 
Yeah, so it was like a little bit of everything. Um, and then, you know, after a while, I was kind of like, oh, I, I'm still in uh, I'm still in school, I'm still on campus. So I just sort <laughs> of like figure out, you know, I need to graduate. So I graduated and then went back to school for my MBA, um, mm -hmm. which helps out, but it was just like, I just didn't know what to do. Um, mm -hmm. But did the MBA. And after that, I went to uh, do advertising for a quick sec. Hated it. Uh, eventually left that job, left that position, and ended up in Tanzania for a while. And that was because I tried to join the military like right after I left that agency. And the, um, uh, what's some call it? I, I, I injured my LCL my, in, my, in my knee. I tore that ligament. And mm -hmm. basically throughout the, they had to throw out the application and everything for um, the military. And this um, nonprofit I was donating artwork to said, hey, would you want to come to Tanzania uh, for a while? And I was like, yeah. So basically I was <laughs> on a flight to Tanzania and just living there for about seven, eight months. And that was like where I sort of get over my fear of failure. Um, basically it's kind of like, you know, it's um, uh, very simple living out there. So it's like, I'm able to do that. And then just thinking about, you know, how many sort of, um, sort of what's the word, uh, safety nets we have out here in the US mm -hmm. compared to other places. I was like, why, why am I sort of holding back? I should definitely just like figure out how to do what I wanna do. And basically that's what I decided to do is just like figure it out. And when I came, came back, um, decided to, do like a little business plan for myself in terms of the art, art stuff. Um, you know, basically, you know, tried to formalize everything. So I did my, you know, name and LLC and then, you know, figure out how I wanted to sort of market myself and sort of the first show I wanted to do and, you know, figuring out what type of artist I wanted to be. So I reached out to other artists and sort of got a good idea, like, you know, how to navigate the art world. So it was a it was like a good tr like little journey, um, just mm -hmm. figuring out what I wanted to do, or just like how long how, ago was how, that? Like that yeah. realization? I mean, that was like 2014. Um, okay. Was the trip so like 2013, uh, December 31st? That's when I was on a plane to Tanzania. So like New Year's Day, I was like in the in the air landing in Tanzania. And, you know, spent a good seven, eight months out there just learning and learning and learning and then came back here. And when I was uh, coming back, basically, it's like actually on top of that, like when I left um, during the end of the year and then leaving New Year's, it was basically when Denver legalized marijuana. So I left and came back to almost like a whole new city. Cause it was like <laughs> on every corner. It was like, yeah, there's so many people moving here. So many sort of like new communities popping up and like the, like the uh, revenue that the city was getting from, from money. It was like being poured into other places. And, you know, it was, it was a really, really interesting time because we were growing, growing, growing. And not only that, like new tech companies were, were sort of popping up here. And that's also when, the co-working space became a really sort of popular model for businesses. And there was like, there was just so many co-working spaces popping up and so many like businesses sort of just like coming out of nowhere. And it just sort of uh, added to the, the hype about Denver. It added to, you know, just a lot of things about Denver. And not only that, it's kind of like uh, our, our uh, football team was like popping as well. Uh, that year so <laughs> it was like you know it was like everything was sort of aligning my friend bought a old building a huge building too it was um this is where I am right now um he bought the building about uh, a year or two before I left but um started renovating it because it was basically abandoned or almost abandoned uh, we started renovating it to be artist studios and it's right across from another place that I know uh, that I used to work with like an art center but um, it's in like the heart of Five Points, between Five Points and Rhino. Um, but basically it was, it's like the really cracking neighborhood. And basically 
renovated to be art studios. He basically said, hey, do you want an art studio? Um, and I was like, yes. And I basically, it was like of course. affordable rent. <laughs> yeah, it was affordable rent, man. And then, you know, that's where I sort of got my, my start right there. Um, mm-hmm. Coming from the basement to like an art studio. And not only that, my other friend opened up a restaurant like three blocks over. And base, it was the restaurant that was the, almost the, one of the first ones in the neighborhood uh, that was like growing drastically. Because right now it's like the neighborhood that we call uh, Rhino um, is being gingified, but like before it used to be super industrial warehouses, mm-hmm. which was like right, it was next to downtown or we're still considered downtown, but it's like next to the metropolitan area of Denver. And it's like right beside it. So like there's people that can access it super easy uh, just by walking. So um, they started buying up the old buildings and renovating them to be like, you know, boutiques and restaurants and eateries and, you know, uh, a brewery. So like every other block around Denver is a brewery. So it's a, it's a lot of that out here. So when he opened up his restaurant, you know, a lot of people didn't know exactly um, where to go. So they would just eat at the restaurant. And that's how he got super, super big, um, Metal Art Kitchen, uh, when it came to like being the, the hot spot. And it was, you know, it was next door to another hot spot that we always uh, frequented as well, like all my group of friends. And it was like, they had like a, a day party that was like, almost 10 years old so a lot of people knew about it and came so you know it was like one of the every like i said everything just aligned um correctly just at that yes just at the same moment so like a lot of other artists you know during the same time i was trying to do full-time art uh or venturing this into full-time art was the same time they were doing it as well and so everyone was almost in the same boat when it came to trying to figure it out and sort of make their way in Denver when it comes to just like being a full-time creative. So it was really good. So like I had a lot of company with me when it came to uh, just figuring out the space, uh, figuring Mm -hmm. out how to navigate everything. And on top of that, it was basically in the same neighborhood where we do our mural festival. So it was was a lot of art just around. People came for the art, like they would come into Denver just to see the art festival or the street art festival that we have. So it was, it was, like I said, everything just aligned in the same, same space at the same time. And that's why I think I got super lucky when it came to the community I'm around and just like being able to progress um, the way I have uh, in the arts and to do the things that I do today. That's awesome. And wow, what a blessing to be able to have that kind of creative community around you to kind of learn and grow and I I feel like a lot of creatives probably listening don't have that but are looking for that and it's really cool to hear that you had that to kind of help you grow did you um what was your like job while you were trying to transition into becoming full-time artist was it just like a bunch of side hustles or did you work somewhere specific or so most of my academic career, I was uh, doing, I was in student life office doing the marketing and communications for them. I mean, it was a mm-hmm. small office, so I was doing a lot of like making posters. Um, <laughs> I did the same thing. That's yeah. funny. All that stuff, you know, sponsorships, you know, calling yeah. different departments and, you know, department heads to say, hey, we have this speaker coming in. Um, can you book your class or bring your class or you know, looking at, even looking at contracts for the people we bring in, all those different things, booking hotels, all that stuff. So it was, it was a great learning experience. And I mean, that's one of the reasons yeah. I think I'm able to sort of navigate this stuff now is because I'm able to do a lot of the sort of uh, the, you know, the book stuff, the contract stuff, the- All the logistics. Uh, yeah, all the logistics and, you know, everything that's involved with marketing something and trying to get buy-in from different groups and, you know, just trying to hustle a little bit. So I, I was doing that for a good five years, uh, running my own um, student club as well. It was Hip Hop Congress Denver chapter. And that was like, I was always putting on breakdancing events and DJing events and help like helping like find space for the DMCs, the DJ event that's really big and really just like trying to create all these different creative spaces for 
you know, for for creators around the community. And that's how I sort of met a lot of the people that I have I know now and that support me now mm-hmm. is through like those different events. And, you know, they didn't even know that a lot of them didn't know they did art um, anyway, because <laughs> for a while it was like I was just doing that rather than like painting all the time. Right. So it was like doing more logistics and, you know, working out, you know, who's going to judge this battle or how can I fly in this person from this place or whatever uh, while I was going to school. So I wasn't doing uh, as much painting, like, you know, on a regular basis as I wanted to, because sometimes I would take off like a year, you know, from the yeah. airbrush that I had or the paintbrush. And then, you know, after a while, it's kind of like when I was uh, graduating, uh, sort of like transition out of the clubs and left it to someone else. And, you know, it was like I was getting back into sort of painting and everything. And that's when, you know, trying to, you know, join the military and this other stuff mm-hmm. sort of happened at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like everything sort of happened for a reason. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to note too, that you have like the logistical kind of analytical side of your brain as well as the creative side. And I think that's what a lot of, um, creative struggle with. And I think it's cool that you shared kind of like, you know, what you were doing while you were like doing your art kind of on the side until you graduated and started to pursue it, um, more seriously. Is that like, you learned a lot from the jobs and different things that you had to manage and all those different experiences. You learned a lot from those things. And you, now you get to take all those things you learned with you and apply it into your creative business. And I think what's important for a lot of the listeners to take from that is like, you might be in a job that you hate, or you're not really a fan of, or it's just like that thing that's kind of, you know, um, that kind of goes with co-aligns with a creative career that you want to pursue, but it's no matter how you feel about that job, it's always important to at least take away all the things that you can and absorb as much as you can and from that business, not just like your job itself, but even like the business of how everything works in the day-to-day in that company you work for and take and use those skill sets and apply it to your business because it, it can so like help you so much um, when you finally pursue your creative career full-time. Yeah, I mean, it's all about just like using your background um to sort of like um find your voice and figure out how to navigate different things so i mean like like i said like i went to school for business i still like that's what i use um today because you know you're almost basically a business when you know you're an artist so you know using that stuff to sort of navigate the the waters and everything has been something i've been learning and you know i think uh, a lot of artists can sort of um you know they ask like should they do art school or not and a lot of times i'm like do what you want to like even if it's engineering or computer science or whatever it's kind of like you're able to use that stuff in your artwork anyway um Mm -hmm. so it's like you know sometimes it's just like trying to do a different path than everyone else is super important yeah what would you say was like the moment that was the turning point for you where you felt like you felt successful in your career was there a project was there just something that happened and you were like dang like I finally did it like what was that turning point for you um I mean it wasn't like it's not a turning point I mean I'm still like still growing but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like being able to save up has been really good I mean that's like a Mm. a good moment when you're like oh I, I don't have to uh, live hand to mouth type of thing, or I don't have to sort yeah. of leave my bank account depleted or uh, live on credit cards. It's like I'm able to actually save up and, you know, contribute to my IRA or whatever, or invest in new equipment without having to sort of, you know, pinch pennies at all. So, I mean, that's something where I'm like, that is a good sort of point to be at uh, when you're able to do that because that allows you to sort of grow um a lot more because you're not sort of uh being weighed down mentally by the idea of just like how do i pay the bills how do i sort of make it you know am i successful type of thing so i mean that that part right there i think when you get to that part you're more inclined to sort of breathe easier and Mm -hmm. just relax a little bit so i'd say like yeah just being able to save up um in a bank account uh, has sort of uh, allowed me to feel like, you know, I'm actually 
um, you know, making it, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the financial security and stability is definitely that, that roller coaster, um, as a creative and honestly, in any business as an entrepreneur, you know, it's always those first three years in business where you kind of sink or swim. Um, so being able to be caught up and kind of be able to just breathe and not stress about money is always a good thing because then you can use that to fuel all the things that you want to do and create oh yeah oh yeah so i mean yeah so i mean i'm still still learning there's a lot to sort of know and grow and Mm -hmm. figure things out so like asking artists that i sort of uh, admire and figure out new opportunities and things i can get into with my work is something where i'm sort of at right now do you provide, do you have any like suggestions or tips to those listening on like the best ways to network with other creatives? Um, Cause it sounds like you've do pretty well with that and you've been able to have a creative circle around you. And I'm sure people reach out to you for tips and advice and help or whatever that is. But do you have any like tips that you can share that you feel like will work um, in their favor and help them be successful when it comes to networking with other creatives? Yeah, I mean, I'd say one of the biggest things that I do is just like I give as much as I take. So mm-hmm. the Art Tip Tuesdays that I do, you know, giving advice to a lot of artists and some, you know, I had to learn that um, a lot of the stuff that I think is known or I think everyone knows, there's a lot of artists that don't know that because they're just younger or they just haven't been in the space for a while. So there's always something that you can teach other artists. So knowing that it's like, I'm always in the mode of like teaching, 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 sharing, sharing, sharing what I have. And that usually sort of comes back in, you know, the the way of building relationships, um, getting to know other artists, getting opportunities, getting to, to collaborate with uh, other creatives um, just knowing what's happening in the art scene, getting self, you know, my uh, awareness out there. So, you know, helping out other artists and helping out the community is something that I think a lot of artists can think about when they're trying to uh, get their sort of network sort of tied in to where it's like they're they're sort of knowledgeable about who's in the arts community and you know building with the community. I think really just giving back as much as possible is that way. And I think uh, volunteering is, is huge. So like volunteering for your local arts group or, you know, some, some sort of mural festival or whatever, that's how you get to know a lot of people uh, in your area. That's how you found out about a lot of the muralists out here was through, you know, either myself volunteering or them volunteering and meeting me. Uh, So, so just giving back as much as possible is one of the key goals I think for you know just just being able to network and collaborate and meet other artists that are sort of like-minded because you're volunteering in a space that you know they sort of are in as well so it's kind of like you're able to uh, work with them and it's not and because you're volunteering it's kind of like you're you're not asking anything from them or trying to uh, sell them something or an opportunity or whatever it's like you're just volunteering giving to them so it's uh, a lot of people are more open um, in those respects when it comes to it's just like opening up and building relationships. Yeah, I love that. Um, always, I always, you know, tell people like you got to give before you can try to ask and receive. And mm-hmm. even when it comes to reaching out to the people you look up to, like you don't want to just ask, like, can I just pick your brain? Because it's that even that sentence and the words that you use to say that statement, it's like, you're just taking, it's just like, how can you add value um, yeah. and create like a, a win-win situation for, yeah. for both people? Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. How do you actually get, you know, your clients or your customers and projects booked? You've done lots of amazing, badass things and you've done big projects. So I'm curious to know, like, when you started out, how did you get clients, customers, and projects booked to, versus I mean, like how it happens now for you? A lot of it has been they come to me mm-hmm. um, because a lot of them sort of saw me progress over time. Like some of them knew me as I was 
because I don't have this on my Instagram, but before I was like doing some a lot of this stuff on my early Instagram, like the first couple of posts, I was doing a lot of work with this broken records sort of style. And then these paintings that sort of uh, had speakers embedded in them. And this was like when I was going to school and like doing other stuff on the side. And they sort of remembered, you know, my work and followed. And then once they saw me, you know, do work full time and just grow and, you know, as they grew as well in their sort of uh, managerial position or, you know, they're a lawyer or whatever. It's like, mm -hmm. that's when they reached out to me to sort of buy work. Uh, not only that, the work that, you know, that uh, they were displaying, their friends were asking who did that. And then they would sort of reach out to me. So it was kind of like friends of friends would sort of reach out and want to buy work. And another way that I sort of uh, captured, I just like made myself aware or grew my awareness in the community was uh, with live art and doing live art, especially during, uh, so like these DJ nights that were really popular around town and different venues and doing it in a different way where I was actually doing like a really, really large canvas. So everyone would be able to see it no matter where they were in the room. Um, so this venue was called Aphilias and it was like a, almost like a dance venue, but the second floor that had an opening looked down on the, the actual stage I was on and like the dance floor at the bottom. So you could see from the fir first floor to the basement and the first floor is like a restaurant. So people would sit there, eat their dinner and watch me paint and watch people mm -hmm. dance. And then they would be able to come down and dance and talk and whatever. So it was like a really nice venue that had like not only executives, but it was had like the college crowd as well. So it was a mix of everything. So like when I did that, people were uh, purchasing a lot of my work, you know, on site. And not only that, it was kind of like they were seeing the process of the piece being put together. So they had more of a connection. So when they had it on the wall, they would be like, oh, this is from this artist. We watched this artist actually paint it live. And then we bought it from. So that was like learning how, you know, how people want to be attached to the work somehow. Um, mm. It's just like coming across it singing in a window and purchasing it it's like no they saw the artist actually paint it and they right. got to talk to the artist and so there's like a connection because you know have have someone walking to your house asking you about a piece you know it's, it's you know saying that you just bought it at this one store or gallery is not as exciting as yeah watch this artist paint this while i was you know having a anniversary dinner with my wife or you know, I was hanging out with friends and we were going to this club and this artist was on stage. We just, you know, it's just like having something more to anchor a person into uh, feeling something for a piece. And it's like trying to give them a memory. Hey Gangstar, sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this episode so far, stop what you're doing right now and share this podcast with your friends on social media or text it to a friend in your contacts. If you're a true Gangstar and want to uplift and empower other creatives like I know you do, you're going to want to take a few seconds to do this now. Go ahead and pick your phone back up or click that browser tab that you're playing this episode in, hit that pause button and share it now. Hello, what are you waiting for? All right. Thank you for doing that. Now let's get back to the show. So I learned that about uh, a lot of live art. So I, how did I was, you get that? How did you get that opportunity um, to paint at that place live? That, that was my friend, DJ AL. He had a night called Art and Soul. And basically he, he sort of uh, has a night where he does like old school music and sort of mixes it with uh, new school stuff. Um, that they sampled and then you know he was like he needs something else on stage so he said hey do you want to sort of do some live art and I was like yeah I, I did it maybe once or twice before um, mm -hmm. really this one was like oh I actually will be sort of the center of attention for the next four or five hours so that one was just like being asked by my friend DJL to actually do um, some live art and because of you know the demographics and you know the 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 amount of people that were there it was like a consistent sort of check that i would get 
um, every two two weeks. Yeah, every two weeks I would get two or three weeks I would get a check like that. And then I was doing that from the for, venue or the DJ or from, from what you would sell at the those nights. So from the venue, they paid me like a stipend, so like 150 bucks, I believe. And mm -hmm. then I would sell the painting, which would be like it went from like uh, the first one I did like 500. And then basically it just went up from there to like a thousand bucks, you know, just from mm -hmm. a piece that I did that night. So, you know, I was consistently getting, you know, checks and sort of payment from the venue and selling the piece. And after a while, like after a year, I got burnt out. Uh, because, yeah. Like I was painting, painting, painting. And I was, I was not only doing it there, I was doing it in other places as well because people were like, hey, I have a corporate event and we're having a corporate party for this and can you come do live art? You know, I was like, yeah, because they would pay me really well. Yeah, or corporate parties, so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I was painting nonstop, but it killed my back though. Uh, yeah. So it was like, it was wear and tear on my body. And not only that, it was like burning out from just like the creative part of it because yeah. it became less creative and more, you know, tailored to what they wanted <laughs> yeah it was like you know I don't want to have to paint another uh Bob Marley or whatever so it's kind of like I stopped doing that um uh I think maybe 2000 mid 2016 or something and get into uh murals after I got invited to do uh, a mural at the uh festival and basically that was like the first time actually just like putting uh or using really spray paint to do an entire wall um mm -hmm. and that sort of helped me transition from like the canvas to more street art and getting larger so that was like a good sort of you know transitional sort of period in my career it was going from like the live art to the street art i think yeah i think it was no may have been 2015 uh, into 2015 or i gotta check again but it was basically going from live art and doing large canvases to street art and learning that whole realm mm, gotcha now i'm curious on the other side of that to know you know what is your method for pricing your services so you obviously started out like with a con connection to get um, the connections to get different projects and opportunities to now where people kind of come to you and you you're able to kind of fill out your calendar to a sense and so I'm curious to know now that you have that like what is the process behind um, pricing your your work and your services whether it's for murals or you know commission work and things like that yeah I mean I can't really put a sort of you know, like a lot of people do square footage or, you know, things like that. But it's like, I have to have a, a sense of how much time, money and effort and like what the project is for. So mm -hmm. there's just like so many different factors. So like, for me, it's like, I'm not going to charge the same uh, to a nonprofit than I am to, you know, a bank or an agency. I'm not going to do the same thing you know, if it's uh, a mural versus a, a painting on a wall, um, or, if, you know, do I have creative freedom versus am I just sort of like a hired painter um, and you want me to execute this design for you type of thing. So they all have sort of different price points, I would say. Um, you know, I mean, like, especially now, sort of like my career, it's like I don't do too much stuff um, that I don't want to do. And I'm able mm -hmm. to be super, super picky about that. Um, I'm able to sort of get these larger jobs that will pay for a good quarter of the year. So, I mean, I really just have to get, you know, at least be safe, like five big jobs a year. Um, going like a mural or installation or a sponsorship type of thing. And then everything else is like, you know, stuff that I can really just like sit down and be really picky about, or if I want to do it, I do it. If I don't, I don't. Um, so really, it's kind of like, it, yeah, it just really just depends on on who it is, what it is, you know, because I don't, I don't even paint things twice anymore now. So if I painted it before, it's like, I don't paint it twice. 
Mm -hmm. um, so stuff like that even accounts for it because I really just have to want to do it. But the, with the pricing stuff, it's kind of like, it's really intimate to each artist and it's intimate, you know, even at certain points of your career, it's going to be different. Um, I try to make sure I sort of price it to where even the community I'm in can sort of be able to attain my work or have an opportunity to, to collect my work, um, even originals. So I try not to sort of get too crazy with it because, you know, it's kind of like as much as I want to sort of be that artist that, you know, does the million dollar piece and each piece, you know, I don't pick up a paintbrush for unless it's like 12 figures, well, 12 figures is a lot, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, but it's also too, it's kind of like when I grew up, you know, there wasn't a lot of artists that looked like me and attainable. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, I also want to make sure that I'm, I'm sort of accessible and sort of uh, able to be uh, sort of, um, uh, what's the word, you know, just like a role model for younger artists out there, you know, or just kids out there wanting to collect art. They don't have to be an artist themselves. It's like they can collect art. So making sure it's attainable for my community as well. So the pricing just varies uh, depending on all those different factors, I, I'd say. But usually it's like, it, it just depends on the time, money, and effort I have to sort of put into it as well as, you know, how am I feeling um, during that time? Do you, um, so when you're, so it sounds more, you kind of have, you do it based off of a feeling from your past experiences. So just kind of on a deeper, analytical level, do you like at least have minimums? And do you, when you're like asking yourself those questions, like, you know, is this for an agency or is this for like a nonprofit? Do you have like set numbers where it's like, well, for, you know, an agency or big companies like I know I'm at least do this on top of my minimum like does that work for you or do you just kind of like sit with all those different things and kind of just like come up with a number yeah I sit with all those different things and then come up with a number because you never know like you can work with a I never do law or like any law firm or at all I avoid that like the plague because those people are so, why <laughs> there like, anytime you work with lawyers um, there's only a few lawyers I, I work with, uh, and they're like more friends than anything. One is like, a, he owns like a, a building, but has like a lot of um, nonprofit sort of entities and sort of lawyers that work in that space. So he's a really good guy, does a lot of stuff for the community. And the other one is like the patent lawyer. And he's like, he, I met him through a friend where he was like learning breakdancing in a studio. And he loves hip hop. So it's kind of like he's the one that I sort of work with. But otherwise, it's kind of like lawyers are very analytical and mm -hmm. they're very, you know, it's like if you, they, they, they know how to break down a contract and get out of stuff and everything. Or they sort of like, it's not the right color, do it again. It says in a contract, blah, 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 blah. So it's like I try to avoid lawyers <laughs> as much as possible. And that's like a good piece of advice for a lot of artists. But um, I'd say I sit with it for a while. And one thing I try to do too is like get the entity or whoever to throw out the number first. Um, that way it's like mm. I'm underpricing myself um, because sometimes you just don't know what the budget is. You may think it's one thing, but it's like a totally different budget where they're working with a lot. And then you find out, oh, I actually sort of undercut myself. So I tried to get them to throw out the number first. How do you do that? You know, it could be like, hey, um, I could just be as blunt, like, hey, um, I'm interested in the project. Okay, what type of budget are you working with? Um, mm -hmm. Because I need to do this, 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 and this, and this. So really just like trying to figure out how to pull that number out of them um, to where it's kind of like, you know exactly what you're working with, or it's always throwing uh, your dream number or whatever out and saying, hey, this is um, what I would, this is what I would sort of uh, do as a budget for you, or this is what I'm quoting you. Um, but we can always work, work, uh, work something out type of thing, where it's kind of like, you're not giving them a crazy, super, super crazy stick a number without having some sort of flexibility. Um, so it's kind of like, I can say, hey, I can do this wall, it's going to cost you, usually I do this for, you know, 50k. 
Um, but I can work with you if you, um, you know, have uh, some flexibility at all. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, getting them to sort of like um, see that, hey, this is the 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 number I exactly. want to sort of have, but also yeah. that that sort of like uh, set in stone and concrete about just getting that number. Um, so that's like some some of the different ways that I sort of work. And then like also being able to just walk away too, because that's super important right there is because this last job that I did, you know, they asked me to do a project and I wasn't really feeling it too much. And I, I like said, hey, I can't do it. Let me give you a ton of other artists that I recommend and trust and uh, you can talk to them about doing it. And then two days later, they hit me up and said, hey, we really want you. Our client wants you. We want to work with you. And this is the budget we're working with. And it was like almost three times more than I was you know, <laughs> even looking for. So and I was like, That's yeah, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was a great job. And, you know, I'm still working with them now, finishing the project up, but they've been a blessing to work with. But sometimes you just got to walk away too. Mm, I love that. Some good nuggets right there. A lot of creatives, you know, we have different streams of revenue coming in from different parts of our businesses um, and even outside of our business. So I'm curious to know what kind of revenue streams you have in place um, and where does most of your business come from? So most of the business or like the percentage of my income, most of it comes from the larger jobs that are more corporate. So like working with the developer on um, painting, you know, inside their new apartment complex or, you know, mm -hmm. on a building that this developer wants sort of painted because they're finishing up a new shopping center. And then the mural festival stuff I've been doing as well. Um, and then working on different client projects with agencies um, as well. That's a big chunk. And then everything else is view, like really just like the studio work. Uh, not so much commissions, uh, although I do commissions every now and then, but I don't rely on it. Um, it's mostly I do a painting, I post it up and someone may want to buy it type of thing. So that's where I get a lot of um, income as well through the studio. I do a lot of grant work. Uh, well, not too, well, not too much this year, but grant work. So getting uh, funding for projects because, you know, although it's not like uh, income in terms of you're, you're doing a transaction, it's like income because you're able to use that money to offset expenses or, you know, do some travel, stuff like that, or research. So that uh, helps out a lot. I'll do a lot of partnerships, sponsorships. So we're working this past year and a half heavily with uh, Red Bull on different projects. Awesome. So, yeah, so they gave me, you know, a good amount to do my last exhibition. Um, so that was like a, a fun little project that we did. I did, um, I wrote a book as well, and that was released in February. So, you know, it's, I Yeah, mean, I saw that. I just ordered it too, just to check it out. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not gonna get me, you know, an island or anything in terms of the yeah. income coming in. <laughs> It's, it was mainly, you know, as long as I broke even, I was cool. And that was really more about um, creating more opportunities through more of the um, sort of the thought leader space, being able to do lectures. Uh, so like the lecture scene or speaking engagements or doing artist studio visits with um, different universities and higher institutions have been sort of uh, a route uh, working with nonprofits and some of their programming. Um, they, they have budgets and stipends at uh, different points. And I mean, there's, yeah, there's like um, other ways as well. And just like, um, you know, just random stuff here and there that sort of pops up like licensing, like when mm -hmm. uh, a commercial um, happens in front of my mural they'll sort of uh, give me a check because my wall is in their uh, new commercial or print ad or whatever. So that's like a, another check, but you just like a lot of the times it's like, I don't know when that happens or when that goes down, but then 
I'll get an email about, hey, we want to shoot in front of your stuff. Um, and this is what, you know, we're able to pay you for licensing or uses your work or whatever. And I'm like, oh, great. So, I mean, <laughs> a check that just falls out of nowhere. And I didn't really That's have to awesome. do too much. Um, and then this upcoming uh, spring, I'm working with my friends from Be A Good Person, who's uh, their clothing um, brand. Yeah out here and basically we're going to do a drop uh a collaboration drop so working with them on creating these jackets and um, bucket hats and accessories uh for their spring spring line coming up so that's uh a project that's happening right now um so that's going to be some income coming in and then um just beefing up my youtube stuff as well so i mean i've been slowly like I, I made the youtube channel a while ago but never really sort of put a lot of effort into it mm -hmm. um, this is like before they had like the cutoff in terms of how you monetize it mm -hmm. so when i did it before like this was maybe whew, four years ago i started and then you know a year later i i mean i threw up a couple of videos you know how to write an artist statements things like that that I would sort of just repurpose from my Instagram. And, you know, like at the end of the year, I get like a check for 125 bucks. And I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, it's just <laughs> a, you know random income type of thing. That just yeah. Comes in. And, you know, like, oh, but over the, the, um, this year, when the lockdown happened, it was kind of like, oh, this can actually be a, a good source. And there's like no other really, artists on Insta or YouTube really trying to do that type of content the way I'm doing it. So I was like, actually, let me actually put some work into it. Um, so this past, you know, I'd say four months, I've been really, really putting a lot of work into um, creating videos for YouTube and trying to make that sort of a consistent sort of uh, income stream so that you know it could pay for studio rent or whatever so it's like i always want to make something that's sort of sustainable that can sort of just pay for something that i don't have to worry about because um you know there's a, just a lot of fixed costs that you know mm -hmm. i have that sometimes i sometimes don't think about mm, dang that's awesome thanks for you know being open and honest and sharing that there's a lot of nuggets to pull from that, that everybody can definitely apply or start applying in their business um, and in their life. I'm curious to know how you manage all the things that you do. I mean, I know creatives always have their hands in lots of different pots and have lots of projects going on, but you obviously not just, you know, just don't paint regular paintings. You have like all these big projects and there's contracts and there's lots of people involved in a lot of the things that you do. Do you have like an agency or a manager? Do you do it all yourself? Do you rely on a certain software to help you like manage tasks and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I do have, I started um, to hire one of my friends to do some of my social media stuff, especially on platforms that I don't really frequent too much. So like I told I wanted her to start working on my email newsletter and then my um, Behance profile as well as updating my Deviant art profile because I haven't touched that thing in a good <laughs> me neither eight years yeah so it's kind of like you know there may be some people on there that know they don't know about my stuff and can be become aware so like um, having her sort of update that profile update um what's the other profile i think my tumblr on my no my pinterest um uh, putting my work on pinterest things like that so you know i have her doing that but that was only recently i had another friend help me out doing the youtube video stuff but um the editing um was just uh just like trying to schedule stuff was super tedious so that didn't really work out too much but um for the most part it's like i do pretty much everything um that sort of comes into my studio uh, which is not the the most healthiest thing or the most productive <laughs> thing it's just like i had to figure out ways to scale up which is something that i'm trying to learn to do um, mm -hmm. which is super important and i think i can definitely learn that from a lot of other artists um just like how do i sort of you know uh, bring people into my studio space to actually uh, do the work 
um, that, you know, I don't need to be doing. So mm -hmm. that stuff is something that I'm sort of trying to learn. But everything right now has been sort of uh, me using, you know, sometimes the scheduling software to uh, schedule, you know, social media posts or to uh, help me edit videos, things like that. So it, it's a lot of finding ways of reducing the amount of effort and energy that it takes to actually, you know, create content and sort of read through contracts and to, you know, just schedule things. Yeah, yeah just a little, little um, tip to share with you since you're talking about scaling. One thing that I learned in a mastermind that I was in was if you do something more than three times, write it down and write out the process for that. And it's, it's really it's tedious and it could be like annoying, but once you do yeah. it, like you're so proud of yourself. And then that's just like the really first step and easy way to scaling. And for everybody listening to like, you might not be, you might not have the means to like hire an assistant or, you know, hire a team or anything, but it's good to just kind of take care of the thing, those things up front. Cause when you are ready, you'll have all these systems and processes in place. And then you can just kind of hand it off and make the training uh, a lot easier when you do bring people onto your team. So if you're not okay. already doing that, definitely, you know, if you do something more than three times, just put it in a Google doc and put that yeah. to, in a folder and you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, I have my Google, uh, all that Google suite ready. It's like all those documents and, you know, sometimes it's just like writing things down. That's like the, mm -hmm. you know, it's like I can bring people in, but it's like, it's so chaotic. So I have to sort of, like you said, be, be more due diligent about writing things down and how I do it. Um, but sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing because I'm just, I play it by air, <laughs> fly by the seat of my pants <laughs> type of thing. Every day is something different because, you know, like today uh, I had like a client just pop up on me and like ask about um, picking up a piece. And then uh, another individual wants to do a meeting uh, where they talk about some other stuff. So it's like every day is something different. So sometimes it's like actually just sitting down, like you said, just like figuring out the things that are routine and sort of uh, can be sort of uh, a system. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is one of the biggest mistakes you made in your business and how did you grow from it? Ooh, mistake. I'm sure there's many, we all have many, but was yeah, there I one mean, that like stands out? I mean, one, I guess it wasn't like a mistake. It was like a big learning lesson. Like even with the, like accounting, like accounting is, is big, especially when you're starting out, it's like you just have a fistful of receipts. It's like, I went to, business school but they don't really teach you how to be how to do it in the <laughs> real world you know so it's like I'm keeping mm -hmm. this full of receipts and trying to figure out how to do my taxes and everything so you know I get uh hit up by the well I didn't get hit up by the city it's like I, I wasn't paying sales taxes and then when I sort of went to the city and told them I didn't pay sales taxes kind of like now I owe all this money but I, I mean I paid all mm -hmm. that stuff right afterwards but it's kind of like those smaller mistakes when you're sort of trying to formalize stuff um has always been big so like the accounting part has been always big for me um, just in terms of making sure that's uh that's uh done right the first time so like i actually hired someone to do all my accounting for me now so it's like i set Good. up quickbooks and bank account and like they have access and he sends me stuff and i only meet him once a year but he sends me stuff every quarter about doing estimates and everything with the sign checks I need to send to IRS and Uncle Sam. So it was like that, that was a big help where the first year I was just like playing it by air and got me into a little bit of trouble. And then, you know, I think um, even now, one of the mistakes I'm making is, you know, just like not being able to uh, let go and trying to be hands on and not uh, having a manager or uh, an agent. I think that's something that you know, I think is a living mistake that I'm doing right now that I need to sort of correct. Uh, so that is something that I need to sort of like actually sort of go out there and like search for an agent, um, just sort of get me into some different spaces. Um, so yeah, I mean, those, that's, I think those are some mistakes uh, that I'm making right now, as well as I think a big learning curve when it came to finding a mentor or finding 
um, someone to learn from. Usually it's been all so like unofficial people I've been sort of going to, but I think if I had someone early on to sort of always go to, a lot of the mistakes um, or just like the learning curve would have been shorter. Um, I mean, things like that. Gotcha. No, that's, that's good. And obviously everybody can't get it right in the beginning and you're not going to always have the means to hire out and help people or have people help you with the things that you aren't good at, but the sooner you can, and the sooner you can get that taken care of, like definitely do it. Don't like try to burden yourself with, you know, the accounting stuff. If that's something that really like takes up too much of your time and like, you don't understand it, there's people that you can pay to make sure you're good to go, you know, and some creatives like have struggle with letting go in all different parts of their business. So I think it's a lot of things that are in common in the theme of what we're talking about, you know, it's just, you don't want to, you don't have to take care of everything. You can kind of, you know, scale yeah. and hand off some of the responsibilities in your business to different people. And yeah. have a team. So I'm always learning. I'm just trying to figure it out as I go along. Yeah. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, but uh, like, you know, Clubhouse is one place where I'm like, I'm getting a lot of uh, knowledge from and, you know, just going in those rooms, learning from other artists has been really, really good. So continually to do stuff like that and sort of like venture out into these new platforms and figure out, you know, how can I uh, use it for art, you know? Yeah, definitely. One of my last like um, big art related questions for you is well, what goes into painting like a big wall like say take your like biggest mural project what are like the logistics that people don't typically think of or know about I mean, what's your process for kind of getting all that stuff in order um i just i don't know if it's up today i think i may schedule it for next week or thursday is like the five things that a lot of artists you know sometimes don't know about street art or just like big murals and you know, one of the things like it's laborsome. It's like it's mm-hmm. takes a lot out of your body and energy because you're on ladders for all day. You're carrying, you know, buckets of pain and you know you spill stuff and you got to put out fires and you know everything just goes wrong. So if it can go wrong, it will go wrong and it just adds more time and stress. But super stressful and not only that, it's uh, um, I always tell people that it's temporary. So like nothing that we added to like architecture is sort of ever permanent and it also takes a lot of maintenance so you know if you have 20 walls in a city you want to make sure that all 20 of your murals in a city looks good and it just takes a lot of time money and effort to sort of always fix stuff on murals and Mm. like make sure it's sort of because it can be tagged you know someone can come over and tag it or someone can use a marker and draw a mustache on your piece or whatever penis <laughs> on it. So it's kind of like trying to figure out how to maintain it is also something that, you know, a lot of artists sometimes don't think about um, the equipment and, you know, the money that's involved um, when doing murals. So all these different things uh, uh, really sort of take a toll um, when, or just like take a toll, but that a lot of artists sometimes don't think about. It's not as easy as just, hey, it's, it's easy to paint a mural, everyone can do it type of thing. Uh, so there's a few other things um, that are involved. Uh, but when like you're sort of starting a mural, really it's just like analyzing the wall and figuring out how much sort of uh, resources it will take to actually do that wall. Um, because drywall that's flat, like the walls in a building is different than the walls outside of a building on the surface. You know, it could be siding uh, that's sort of really textured or it could be like stucco that's really textured or it could be brick Mm -hmm. or, you know, it could be, you know, some sort of uh, uh, siding that's, you know, it's different or feels different than what you're normally used to. And you gotta figure out does it hold paint really well or whatever. So it's like all these different things. If there's obstacles like windows or, you know, is it a new sort of construction? So now it's like you have to be a little bit more cleaner and sort of prepared than, you know, if you're doing it on the side of a building and, you know, the parking lot is janky and, you know, it's not really taken care of, there's cracks and, you know, it's like if I spill paint, it's not a big a deal uh, in that space versus a space that's, you know, a new construction site where they're trying to make sure everything is in 
place and every blade of grass is sort of cut the same height. So, you know, all these different things you have to account for. Um, but really it's, it's like once you sort of analyze the wall and figure out how to scale up your work, um, you know, really it's just all about, you know, figuring out what paint you're going to use and tools uh, and how you're going to access the entire wall. And basically it's, uh, it's different for everyone. You know, every, every style is different. Every sort of wall is different. Uh, so they all require different sort of, uh, I guess, ways of analyzing it um, so that you can do the work that you want to do and spend less time stressing out on, you know, just the logistics side of it. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's the whole new ball game, but you don't have to paint on a wall to, to do street art. Uh, there's a group in Denver, I think it's uh, Lady Fancy Works, and they do knitting. They knit in, or crochet. They crochet their sort of sculptures in different spaces of the, mm. you know, the, the wall. So they'll add something to the corner of the wall. They'll add something to the top of the building, on the side, whatever. But it's like they do a lot of crocheting to get into the street art game. They recently cool. did. Um, yeah, I mean, it's super cool. It's like there's, I think there's five to seven of them. So it's like uh, a group that uh, will just basically get together. I think some of them live out of state too. So it's kind of like they'll fly in to do projects. So they recently finished one at the Facebook um, uh, office down in Denver or Boulder, one of those places. But um, they did a really, really dope job, but it was like all crocheting and that's what they do. So you don't have to be a painter or paint of perfect face to actually get into, um, you know, a lot of street art. Mm, that's awesome. Um, I didn't even know that, but that'd be really cool to, yeah. to see in person. Hopefully I can stumble across something like that. I've only seen, you know, the normal painting and installations but crochet on a wall it sounds pretty sick <laughs> there's another artist that uh, nails up sort of these wood sculptures or like these wood planks and he nails them to the wall in a certain way that just makes makes a sculpture out of it so i mean you don't have to do like painting all the time it's like mm -hmm. so figuring out how to be creative on the, on a space like that that's awesome well we're coming to an end um, with our our chat and our conversation and you dropped so many awesome bombs in this one. So I'm super excited for everyone who's listening right now. Um, do you have any last parting tips and advice for the Gangstar Creative listeners that are listening right now? Uh, I'd say really just like be you, do, do uh, the work that you want to do and do it now because, you know, it's like some people try to wait for the right time. And there's really no right time. And it's kind of like, you know, hearing my story is kind of like a lot of that stuff was, you know, in the works as I was doing other stuff. Um, so like, you don't have to sort of wait for, you know, for you to get the perfect equipment or, you know, wait for you to change jobs or get a pay raise or whatever. It's like, just do what, just do the artwork you want to do now, whether you're doing it full time or whether you're sort of, doing a job and you're going to school, whatever. It's like all that stuff really just keeps adding to um, just like the amount of hours you put into your craft. Um, so really just like start as soon as possible. Mm. And what's next for you? What can our listeners look forward to from you? Uh, just bought a welder. So gonna learn how to weld, um, trying to get to sewing machines and learn how to sew a little bit too. And then also getting a little bit more into this NFT art, crypto art. I've been, you know, you hear about all on uh, Clubhouse, so like trying to, you know, figure out, you know, what that space looks like for my practice. Um, hmm. So early on, like, you know, there's a, a lot of a room for exploration in that space. So I'm really, really interested in figuring out exactly what that looks like. Mm, I'm gonna have to look into that. I think I saw like one or two group or rooms that had that. I, I didn't um, have a chance to type, uh, tap into that. But now that you kind of talked a little bit more about it, I'm interested to learn more what that actually is and looks like. So that's cool. Awesome, awesome, awesome. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And um, everybody that's listening, I'm going to link his um, book, Be the Artist, in the show notes. Make sure you go get you that book. It's on Amazon. Um, I don't know if it's anywhere else, if you want to share on your website or anything like that, but definitely just grab that book. It has a lot of gold um, nuggets to help you in your creative business as a, as an artist. And then he also does art tip Tuesdays. So check out his Instagram and on um, his YouTube, which I'll also have linked in the show notes. So you can grab some more gold nuggets if you enjoyed our conversation today. So Detour, thank you so much for your time and um, we'll, we'll, we'll be chatting again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, listen to a couple more episodes, and share it with a fellow Gangstar creative. I would also be forever grateful if you left a review letting me know what you loved and what you'd like to hear more of. And as a thank you for leaving me a review, I'll gift you both my 10 ways to create a Gangstar brand PDF and 5 ways to boost your online sales PDF. Just screenshot your review and DM me the picture on Instagram at Devonna Stimson and I'll send it right over to you. Until next time, cheers to annihilating the status quo of the starving artist.